to a Clubfoot Mom podcast. I am your host and fellow Clubfoot Mom, Maureen Hoth. So back in February of this year, 2022, I released a podcast that was about my approach to a new diagnosis with my Clubfoot cutie. At the time that I released it, it was still really raw about our her new diagnosis, and there were still a lot of unknowns about what the diagnosis was and how it was going to play out in the future. So I didn't want to share too much information about what we were actually experiencing, so I focused the podcast on how my clubfoot journey with my daughter had informed the way that I approached this new diagnosis. And I have to be honest, when I released that podcast, I immediately felt very uncomfortable. Like maybe I was sharing too much information. Um, I was sharing maybe too soon because we were still wrapping our heads around everything. And I also just felt like, do I, it felt like maybe I was asking for sympathy when that wasn't the intention behind the podcast. I was just trying to inform myself about how and see the correlations between how clubfoot treatment has changed the way that I approach new medical issues that come up with my kids. But I was just really worried about sharing too much and I just had this whole feeling of like this whole array of emotions about it. So But as the months kind of progressed and we settled into this new diagnosis and we started to kind of find our footing, so to speak, I started to almost transform into like, I wasn't sharing enough. I, I wasn't, it felt like I was keeping a secret, not from the podcast, but just from, from myself. Like I wasn't sharing things, which I had become so accustomed to doing with her clubfoot treatment. Um, I mean, I started writing my book when she was not even a year old. So there was always this creative outlet for the way that I was processing her clubfoot treatment. And with this new diagnosis, I found myself just yearning for that same sort of creative outlet. But there seemed to be so much gray area in sharing the story because it's not just my story. Very similar to Clubfoot in the way, in the same as Clubfoot, right? I don't have Clubfoot. My daughter has Clubfoot. I am her parent and I'm an active participant in her treatment. So it feels like a shared story. And I try to focus my, what I share on my part of the story. I would never pretend to know what it is like to have clubfoot or to have any sort of birth defect that would um, impact my life, right? That's not the intention behind this podcast or the book or any of the work that I do. It's about the parent's experience behind it. Well, with this new diagnosis, there just seemed to be less of that obvious shared story, right? Um, And I didn't know how much was too much to share of my child's story that didn't necessarily have so much to do or wasn't so intertwined with my experience. So I felt a lot of conflict inside myself about whether I should share my story or not. And Honestly, my cutie's older now, so there's a difference in her level of understanding what's happening with her treatment. A lot of the clubfoot stuff happened when she was really young, and she doesn't have any memory of it. And honestly, I don't even know if she'll remember this new diagnosis and what she went through as well. I'm not 
I'm not really sure, but I think that impacted the way that I looked at it too. Like as she's getting older, how much should I share and what shouldn't I share? So that spent a lot of time. I spent a lot of time thinking about it. Okay. So, but then on the other hand, I was like, I have to practice what I preach. Obviously I preach on this podcast and just in social media in general, like sharing your story is such a huge deal because it helps other parents and other people feel less alone and it spreads awareness about what you're dealing with. It helps with the isolation feeling of like, no one understands what I'm going through. And so I really feel like that's a core value of mine is to share, right? But then it came into this like, is it my story or is it her story? And I want to, and I've always attempted to create some space for her so that she can tell her story and not speak for her. So that's what kind of stopped me from sharing a lot, right? But then something happened this month and it actually happens to be the awareness awareness month for her new diagnosis. And at the same time, she went into remission for her new diagnosis, which is um, ITP, which is immune thrombocytopenia. Okay, so I'll go into what that is in a minute. Um, I didn't know anything about it prior to this either. So I, when she went into remission at the same time as it's this ITP awareness month, I was like, ah, this just feels like such a big sign that I can share more about what it is that we have experienced for the last seven months. So I'm going to talk a little bit about what, what that experience was like for us, what the new diagnosis is a little bit, um, what the treatment, or in this case, non-treatment looked like, and how that also impacted her clubfoot treatment. And so it started... My cutie was diagnosed with ITP in January of this year. Um, What happened was ITP is an autoimmune disorder where your body attacks the platelets that you have, right? So your body is made up of different types of your blood. The platelets are what stops bleeding from happening. So if you get a cut, it's the platelets that form and stop the bleeding from happening. Okay. So what we had noticed was that she was bruising really easily and a lot. Okay. A lot in her shin area, which is honestly where she wears her boots and bar. And we had started skiing with her as well. So we were like, maybe it's the ski boots. Um, We just didn't know for sure what was happening. But One morning she woke up and I noticed like these little tiny red dots underneath her eyes. And I thought, oh, that's different. You know, Um, so that combined with the weird bruising, I sent a message to our pediatrician and just said, hey, what does this look like? And immediately they were like, you need to go in and get blood work done. So I was like, okay, why are we like freaking out about this? I know it just seemed like a rash. Well, come to find out what she had was something called petechia. And petechia is little red dots that appear. They're not a rash, but they are indicators of low platelets. So there were a few things that could have been going on with her at that point, and we needed to do blood work to figure out what that was. There were a couple possibilities of what the petechia and the bruising would mean, and 
so we had to go for the blood work to get it done. So our cutie had never had blood work done before, and she was napping, and I, uh, we woke her up, and we were like, they were like, just pump, pump her full of liquid. So I had her drinking Capri Suns, water, everything, just to make sure that she was super hydrated. And we actually have, we live very close to a children's hospital, offshoot from our main children's hospital. It's literally like three minutes away. So we went over there to get the blood work done. Um, we got the blood work done, and our pediatrician called us with the results probably like 20 minutes later and was like, she has ITP, which means that her platelet counts are extremely low, which is what is causing the bruising, the extensive bruising, and then also the petechia and something else called purpura. Purpura is kind of like an, an under the skin scratch. So it's that like, it looks kind of like a half scratch, half bruise that is also indicative of this ITP. So at that point, her platelet count was at 4,000. A normal platelet count is anywhere between 150,000 and 300,000. So as you can know, like 4,000 is an extremely low amount of platelets, which was the reason why we were seeing all of the bruising, right? And the petechia and everything like that was just indicators that her body was not um, forming enough platelets to then help with the bruising and things. Now, at this point, she hadn't had any bleeding, no active bleeding, which is the thing that they worry about. So with ITP, having the low platelet counts, that means that she has a much more increased chance of having an internal bleed. So either in her head or in her abdomen. So that's the biggest concern is, will if she were to have any sort of internal bleeding, her body wouldn't be able to stop it in the way that a person without ITP would. So obviously we asked like, well, how did this happen? Like, how does this show up just randomly? And it turns out that it can, ITP can be seen uh, four to six weeks after a viral infection. So in December of 2021, our QD had uh, pneumonia and she had to go on antibiotics and she was pretty sick for about a week. And so what had happened was that was the precursor to this, to the ITP. So the way they explained it is that her body created a bunch of these antigens to fight off the virus. But once the virus was gone, it started to flag her platelets as what they thought the virus was. So it's almost like they created these super antigens, which were then just attacking her platelets instead of the virus. And so it's something that just happens. It's actually a, it's considered a rare disease. It's so unlike clubfoot, which is so common. I think it happens one in every 25,000 kids. So um, much more rare than what we had experienced with clubfoot. So anyways, that's how we found out about the ITP. And through that, we then started to figure out, okay, what are we going to do? right? That was the next step. What are we supposed to do now? And we realized that the course of treatment was actually to do nothing. So we were put into this 
watch and wait category. And by nothing, I mean that includes nothing for her, no activity. We had to stop skiing. We had to unenroll her from soccer, no gymnastics, no any sort of contact sports. Uh, our pediatrician liked to say no, no ninja warrior anything. Well, if you know and you follow me on Clubfoot Chronicles, like my Instagram account, my cutie's really active. She's got two older sisters who do a lot and she desperately wants to keep up. Um, couch jumping, couch surfing, all of that stuff is very common in my house. Like there is very little limitation about what they are physically capable of doing. And we had encouraged her to be even more active so that she was constantly stretching and keeping the mobility of her club foot. Um, well, her club feet, so both of them. And so we, so then all of a sudden, all of that came to a screeching halt and no bounce houses, like nothing that would be childhood fun. A lot of it was like, if she falls down the stairs, we're in trouble. If she falls off her chair, we're in trouble. Like it just became, okay, now we're really on guard because we're trying to prevent any sort of bleeding, right? Uh, so we had to come up with a safety plan at her school, and we had to make sure that uh, everybody kind of understood what the parameters were. But the reality was there was no treatment. There wasn't, she didn't go on medication. She didn't ever have anything. That's particular to our story. A lot of kids with ITP um, have a different journey, right? And that's one of the things that I really realized was different between having a rare disease and having a more common birth defect, which was with clubfoot, there was like, there was this prescribed method of treatment. They were the steps that we needed to follow. And that was everything that we could do to prevent any further treatment, right? There was this idea that we could do something. With ITP, it was we have to wait. We have to do everything in our possible and that we're possible of doing to keep her safe while we wait to see what her body does. And that was way harder than I thought it was going to be. While she didn't have any treatment, there was so much of life limiting for her. There were so many boundaries. There was so much like, can't do that. Don't jump here. Don't run. Don't play with your sisters. Anything that we were possibly could lead to her um, hitting her head would then cause, would, would be of concern, especially because her platelets were below 10,000. Anything below 10,000 is even, even more risk of an internal bleed. While the, while that risk is still really minimal, the risk is higher than a typical kid with platelets. So you're really on guard. So those were the, it was like, we're just going to wait and see what happens. So that wait and see meant that we had to check her platelet counts weekly. And so for a while there, we were getting a blood draw done every week. And I can, different, I can do a different podcast about how we made that happen for our four-year-old, who was very, you know, a little bit, I mean, blood draws are kind of scary for people, but how we really, I worked with a child life specialist to come up with a plan that made it really seamless for us. And, um, so I can share more about that in a different podcast. But we had to do uh, weekly blood draws for the first, I think, month we did. And her platelet counts never came above 10,000 at that point. It went, it went to nine and then it went back to seven and stayed stable at 7,000 for a while. And so then we decided to space out the blood draws because at that point, nothing was going to change. We weren't going to treat it unless there was an active bleed. Um, so we were watching for that. 
and nothing was going to be impacted by her number. So why was why were we putting her through more blood draws if it wasn't actually going to impact her treatment at all? Um, and so that was just a decision that we had made as a family and one of the things that we had advocated for. We eventually started to see it work with a hematologist. At first we were with her pediatrician because there's a lot of different ways that ITP can move, right? So it can resolve really quickly and within three months and that's called acute ITP, right? So then the kid's body figures it out really quickly and we're, you're moved on and you know, it's, it's like it never happened, right? And then there's a persistent ITP, which is between three months and 12 months. And that means your body's still working it out, right? We're trying to figure it out and we're giving the body some time. And then anything past 12 months after diagnosis is considered chronic, meaning that it could be longer lasting. So all of these things are just kind of generalities. So we didn't know what was going to happen with her. She could have jumped up really quickly and her body would have figured it out within three weeks or we were looking at a long-term sort of either a slow and steady crawl and so for us what ended up happening was we kind of slowly saw her move up over six months and we met the six month mark which was in July and she was still at 30,000 at that point so she hadn't ever gone below um, she started to, she went to like 14,000 and then 25,000, then she was up to 30. So to be considered in remission, she needs to be above 100,000. So at that point, we're past the six month mark. We um, haven't seen a whole lot of movement more than, you know, she's not under 10, which we're so grateful for, but we were just like, okay, how from 30 to, to 100 seemed like a huge jump. And we had met with the hematologist probably three times at that point and you know, it was still a lot of like, we just got to wait. We got to wait. We got to watch. We got to see what happens with her, um, with her body. We got to see what her body is going to do. As, you know, so for me, I'm such a research-based person and I spent so much time trying to go like, okay, well, what if this, what does this mean? And if she's jumping here, then how long is it going to be before she could potentially get there? Does this mean we're looking at a more chronic thing because it's taking her body longer? It was just like, I felt like every time we went to the hematologist, I left with more questions than answers. And I don't, that's not a, a fault of the hematologist or the doctors. It was just the reality of having a rare condition, which was, um, we didn't know what was going to happen. And we were, we had to wait and we had to watch and see what would happen. And that was way different than our clubfoot experience where we went and we we're like, okay, this is what we have to do. And there were steps that needed to be taken. There's things that I needed to do other than just limiting her life so much. There wasn't anything we were doing. So our cutie heard a lot of, no, don't do that. Watch out. Be careful for months. Uh, no, you can't go do that. We have to be careful on every turn, right? Um, so that was the hardest part was just feeling like I couldn't do anything. But, and no one could do anything. It wasn't just me. It was like nobody really knew what was going to happen. We just had to wait to see what would happen. And the last time we met with the hematologist, he said, there's a possibility that her body will figure it out. And when it does, it's going to jump. And we were, we're just waiting for it. And we're like, okay, so is that two months? Is that seven months? Is that like, how long is this supposed to be? And we went in for her next blood draw at the beginning of September. And I remember sitting with a friend. We were at the park with our kids. And I said, um, 
usually my husband went with us to every blood draw, but this time he had a meeting that he couldn't miss. And so we went in and got the blood work done. And I was like, okay, I'll be happy if she's at 40. I'll be happy if she's at, I mean, I'll be ecstatic if she's at 50,000, right? Because that was kind of the next benchmark. And when the platelets came back and I saw her blood work in their chart, I was like, she was at 101 platelets and I was 101,000. And I was like, oh my, like this, it was just almost like shock. Like I couldn't believe that it was actually true. Like I kept going back to check to make sure that her, that was actually what it said. Cause she had jumped from 30 to 101 within four weeks. And we had gone seven months prior with very little jumping. So the idea that, okay, now we're like technically in remission was just almost unbelievable. Like it, I still feel like it's not really true to this day. We haven't, we're, we have a follow-up with her hematologist soon to see if we can get her, um, get her taken off and um, kind of discharged from hematology. So I um, mean, that's the hope and the plan at this point, but we, um, it, it was a journey. And I think the things that really impacted us a lot and the way that it connected with Clubfoot a lot was during those first few weeks where her platelets were so low, she was having really extreme bruising on her shins. Any sort of thing, even on her feet, like the boots and the bar were causing bruising and the bruising didn't hurt. She wasn't being hurt, right? But she was, it definitely was causing skin issues. It was causing bruising and, um, in an, in an abnormal way. Same, honestly, with when we would put our hands on her and do the stretching, it was the same sort of thing. Like even we would leave marks on her just from stretching, even though they were like with her platelets counts being so low, she's going to get bruised putting her clothes on. Like, and she was, when she was under 10,000, her body looked like nothing I'd ever seen before. I mean, covered in not just bruises and petechia, but like hematomas, which were huge bruises that, and we had no idea where they were coming from. We, I mean, we would take off her clothes to give her a bath and I would just be like, like just intake at like, where did that one come from? And that was daily, multiple times a day where we just didn't know what was, what was causing her. And I felt so much strife about the fact that I didn't feel like I could keep her safe and uh no matter how much I tried to limit her it didn't matter because she still was just going to be covered in bruises and I tried to take solace in the fact that it didn't hurt her bruises didn't hurt she wasn't being hurt like even if you touched her bruises they didn't hurt she just looked like she was covered in bruises and it looked painful, but in reality, it, it wasn't. And so the same thing happened with our boots and bar. So we reached out to our doctor and to her PT, and we had decided to do less hands-on stretching for the time being. And we were going to do more of the, uh, like, play stretching, which kind of seemed counterintuitive because she wasn't really allowed to play that much. But we bought, like, a stretching wedge that she could stand on. So that would kind of do that dorsiflexion um stretch and then we also decided to kind of loosen the top and bottom strap of the boots we use the Mitchell Ponsetti boots and so we didn't want to do the middle strap because the middle strap you know is kind of the key to making the boot fit in there the foot fit in the boot correctly but we did loosen a little bit so that it wasn't especially the one on the shin so that it wasn't causing as many bruises um and 
that was really the most impact other than the just non-activity, right? So we have this clubfoot kid who we've encouraged and signed up and tried to get as active as possible. I've always said there's a reason why there's so many um, athletes out there that have clubfoot, right, that come out because I think as parents, we're trying as much as possible to maintain that mobility and flexibility. So I think other than that impact and the boots and the bar, it didn't have too much of an impact on her clubfoot treatment overall. One of the biggest differences that we noticed between the clubfoot experience and our ITP experience was the amount of information that was accessible to us. I felt a lot of the time with the clubfoot, even though there was this prescribed method and we knew exactly what kind of each step was going to be, there was a lot less of like, okay, let's just wait and see what happens. Um, I felt a lot, I didn't feel like there was a lot of support for parents out there. Like I, I, you know, you'd go online and you'd look for something and there'd be the Facebook groups, but that wasn't really a good fit for me. And so I just didn't know where to get a lot of information and a huge difference with ITP was that there is this association that I found really early on in my research as you guys all know like I'm a research person I'm consider myself pretty resourceful and like to learn a lot so after her initial diagnosis I spent weeks researching different things I mean reading clinical papers, doing all of that, medical journals about ITP. And while there weren't very clear answers and what the kind of common consensus was, was that everybody is a little bit different, right? Their bodies react to something, which I think seems to be consistent throughout um, autoimmune disorders as it is, right? Um, I mean, I think it's the same with clubfoot. It's just less pronounced, I think, the differences between how people react to treatment. And I don't know. Anyway, so during my research, I found this association called PDSA, which is Platelet Disorder Support Association. And it's for people with platelet disorders and people with ITP. And there's like, it's a $25 membership fee, which frankly, I was more than ready to pay. And they sent you with that $25, they sent you a whole packet of information about what ITP is, living with ITP, and it was for adults with ITP, but also pediatric ITP, what to, what kind of questions to ask your hematologist, a list of different support groups that are in the area. I mean, the packet was just full of all this information. And I remember thinking, wow, like this is what it, this is what it feels like to find something that feels like a comprehensive one-stop shop support system for a diagnosis. And something that I think I always thought Clubfoot would have. And I was surprised to find that it didn't. And so I signed up for the membership. They send out a monthly newsletter. They have different ITP warriors. I I follow them on social media, on LinkedIn, on Instagram, so that I could see other people's stories with ITP. And I think 
one of the things about ITP, because it is so variant between people, it was really nice to hear a variety of different stories in different, uh, how it happened and how the diagnosis, how it was diagnosed and how people progressed through their condition throughout. And so it was just so wonderful. I can't tell you enough. And then we, they actually have a whole separate thing called the poker club because one of the parts of, of ITP is that there, you have to do constant blood draws, um, to be checking your platelet counts. And so the poker club was part of the membership which they sent my daughter a whole bag of poker chips. And once she reached 10, then she could send in her card and they would send her a gift. And with that poker club also came our Buzzy Bee. So if you don't know what a Buzzy Bee is, it's um, an injection tool that helps with the injection site pain. Okay, so it's this little bee-shaped thing that kind of vibrates. And you can put an ice pack. The ice pack is actually shaped in wings. It's so cute. And you put it on, you strap it above wherever, between the, where the injection is going. So with her, the IV, um, and her brain. So then it kind of distracts and causes this, uh, just, yeah, distraction for the brain. The vibrations do. I'm not going to pretend to know a lot about the reasoning and the medical reasoning behind why the Buzzy Bee works, but I will tell you that once we got it, we used it every time. And I can do another episode about all the things that we did to kind of help with prepare her for the blood draws because I think that was a big part of our success story with her was that we were able to get that figured out really quickly. Like I said earlier, we worked with that child life specialist and um, and the PDSA helped us with that too. I mean, they sent us these things encouraging and they also sent these adorable booklets of um, like kind of explaining what ITP was to kids. So there was the, they named their platelet the PD platelet and they sent tattoos of it. So my daughter would put like tattoos of PD platelet on her arm. And it was kind of hilarious because people were like, what, what is that tattoo? And you know, she's walking around like, Oh, this is my, this is my PD platelet. Like, don't, don't you know, like this is PD. This is my, and so the way that they were able to explain it and the resources that they have, I can't tell you the amount of time I was on that website and looking at all of their information. And they were really encouraging to share your story. They, um, one of their hashtags for this, this past month with the September um, ITP Awareness Month was like, ITP, like knowledge is power. So like the more that you know about it, the more that we can share our stories, the more powerful the community is. And I'm so grateful for them, and I don't think about the $25 that I had to pay. I will, I would pay that five times over to be to get the resources that I was able to get through them. And I never thanked them. It wasn't like this, like, there wasn't any expectation for further donation. It was just like, here's the part of the membership just so that you can have access to these, to these things and to also make sure that the PDSA keeps going. So I just, 
was really surprised and spent a lot of time thinking to myself about how could we not replicate, but show, take some of the things from this association and start to put that into an association for Clubfoot. Um, sometimes I really am just mind boggled by the fact that Clubfoot is such a common disorder. It's such a common birth defect. And yet there seems to be this kind of gap in support for parents. Um, and I think there are great nonprofits like Clubfoot Cares, what Nicole created with her co-founders is great, but it stops at a certain point. And I think if there was a way that we could figure out how we can create a more comprehensive support for Clubfoot, I think that would be amazing. And I think the PDSA kind of uh, highlighted that for me in a way that I hadn't, I hadn't thought about it before. And so it was really interesting and I'm so grateful for them and I'm so thankful to PDSA for just even being an association. And so that's kind of our story. It's what at this point, her numbers are in remission. We don't know whether she will continue with that. We're still under the care of her hematologist and we'll give you an update when we find out more. But I really wanted to share what our experience had been for the last seven months and in the hopes that someone else out there um, might be listening. And if you're listening to this and you think, oh, that sounds like something that my uh, you know, that somebody I know experienced, then feel free to pass it along to them because it's not just about Clubfoot. It's also about the ITP and it's about kind of our journey between what was a common birth defect and then what was now a rare disease that we didn't, and the differences that we saw between them. And if you have any questions for me, you know, you can always reach out to me and I really appreciate any feedback that you guys have. If you have any further questions about um, ITP specifically, you can always contact me. I'll do the best that I can to answer them or at least send them on, send you on to a resource that has better answers than I do. So I really appreciate you guys all listening today. And I wanted to publish this episode on the uh, September 30th because that is the purple go purple for platelets day and it's it caps off september as being the itp awareness month so this is kind of my dedication to everybody who's helped us on our journey with itp and just in celebration for my for my daughter and what she's been through and i'm so eternally proud of her as i always am but also grateful that she's at a stable point at this point. And so it's a big cause for celebration for us. So as always, thanks for listening. And if you found something in this episode helpful, please share with someone else that you think could use it. And if you need to get a hold of me, you can do so through my website at maureenhoff.com. Or you can find me on Instagram at Clubfoot Chronicles Mom and send me a message there. Until next time.